Living the Truth is a podcast for creative humans who don't like to fit in a box, who have multiple passions to follow, who are curious and eager to forge their own path in their own unique, messy, and human way, who are ready to make things happen on their own terms and in their own time. This is a safe space for honest, deep, and meaningful conversations about living your truth out loud as a creative. for joining me for episode 5 of Living Your Truth podcast. My guest today is Huma Qureshi. Huma is a writer, a journalist and an award-winning author. In this episode, we talked about her love for the written word, how her South Asian heritage has influenced her as a person and as a writer as well. Learning to say no and navigating writing, life and motherhood all at the same time. Huma and I share the same cultural heritage as we both are from Pakistan. I grew up in Pakistan and she didn't, but still our experiences are quite the same in many ways. We also talked about inclusion, why representation matters, and why we need to hear, see, and read more stories in which we can see ourselves reflected to create space for what's possible for us. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Huma. Hi, Hera. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I am as well. We've kind of followed each other for a while. And it's just, yeah, it's lovely to watch your progress. Um, so I'm very pleased to be one of your guests. <laughs> Tell us all about you. What do you do? How and when you started? And where you are in the world? Sure. Okay. Um, so my name is Huma, Huma Qureshi. I am a writer and author and journalist which is kind of all three ways of saying the same thing which is that I write with words um I live in London um and I started as a journalist my career my background has always been in newspaper journalism I worked for some years for the Guardian newspaper um and then went freelance to explore where my own writing would take me and I think that was the pull that drew me into finding my own way of doing things basically um so i worked freelance as a journalist after having been a staff reporter and a features writer at guardian i went freelance and also began writing my first book which was then a collection of short stories um inspired by real lives um set to the the tune of south asian family life is the way that i describe it um, and from there, I continued with my journalism um, for some years. I've also got three little boys. So then motherhood came into the mix. And with that came a kind of break in perception for myself, like a figuring out phase of what I wanted to do in a way that would allow me to be the different people that I was growing into. Um, and after a few false starts i guess you could say in the last year or two where i really struggled with my own self-doubt and um, believing that i could start writing again in this new phase of motherhood because i felt it had changed me somewhat um, and i worried that i couldn't keep up um, but 
after those false starts, I suddenly realized, you know what, it's the only thing I've ever done is right. And I want to do it. And I want to keep on doing it. And I want to do it my way. And that is how my blog, Our Storytime, was born. Um, it's also how my writing courses came about. But it's also given me the push to really develop my writing further so i am freelancing again as a journalist um, but also writing my second book as well right now so that's where i am right now that all sounds very wonderful oh, I, thank you <laughs> i want to take a step back and mm -hmm. let's go back to the time where you first realized your love for writing did you okay. always wanted to be a writer or what influenced you to become one Yes, I did always want to be a writer. So my mom has this story that she likes to tell people and is a story that she told everyone at my book launch as well, <laughs> which was that when I was five years old, I wrote my first book. And it was a book about a rabbit who lost her tail and she was very sad. But then she found it again and I... I did drawings for it and I bound it together with some thread and I, you know, made a proper book. So um, I always have found a solace in reading stories even as a little girl um i remember very distinctly when my parents would have these big dinners which i'm sure you must relate to as well in the <laughs> house full of guests and full of food and all those uncles and aunties i would just retreat i would find the space to find a book and i'd just read or i'd fall asleep somewhere like you know at the age of five six um and that has always been with me that reading was both my comfort and it was also my step out of the real world into this other world which just seemed so beautiful and magical to me and of course in those days when you're a girl it's the stories about you know fairy lands and yeah. magical places but that's what really caught me was that kind of imagination so I very early on wanted to write stories and tell stories and I used to do that in my childish way um as I grew older I think my my father was a big newspaper reader um my late father he passed away some years ago but he was a very avid newspaper reader and he used to talk to me about the news and he used to drive me to the bus stop to go to school and we used to stop on the way to pick up the times newspaper he would take the news section and i would take the features section and i think that was the first time i because i used to read these papers every morning I, it was the first time I realized, oh, that's a way to be a writer in a way that that is, a, is work, that isn't just, mm -hmm. you know, just for fun. And I think I began quite seriously thinking about journalism as a teenager. It was something that on the one hand felt very mysterious to me. I had no access to that world. I grew up in a very small town outside of, you know, quite two hours away from London. I wasn't, had no connections to this media world at all. But I read the papers and I wanted to be a part of that. I loved the way features would unfold. You know, you could tell stories about people's lives and these were real stories. So at some point I had that kind of um, transition, but at the same time, I also wanted to write my own story. So I used to write in secret. I used to keep a notebook. <laughs> um, I wrote very bad short stories and very bad poetry, but I was greatly inspired by, I actually, remember this as a turning point that I read Sylvia Plath and uh, my English teacher introduced me to her and I just couldn't get enough of it and I know every teenage girl goes through that there's something about the melancholy um that is very uh makes you feel that you're not the only one when you're going through all those emotions as a teenager especially as a teenage girl um 
And I remember then I got hooked on her and I wanted to read everything. So I got her diaries and her letters and in her diaries and her letters, I distinctly remember how she writes about this passion to want to write because it gives her joy and it helps her um, figure her place out in the world. And that, really really spoke to me as a late night kind of late teens that idea that writing my own place mm -hmm. by, by writing I could find my own place in a world which I wasn't completely sure I belonged in you know I we I went to a very um an all-girls school I was one of the very very few girls of Asian heritage there and I was very aware that things would my life was different to the other girls around me um, and I just had this realization that if I wrote the worlds in which I belonged I could find a place for me um, and even if I didn't write about worlds to belong with it was just a sense of having control and finding something that spoke to me um, and that has always stayed with me so yes it, in short I have indeed always wanted to be a writer and I sometimes kind of joke that I actually have no other transferable skills because I could not do any other job. I'm useless at anything else. I could never have, uh, you know, an office job or a kind of corporate job because I, I've never done anything else. So um, I'm a very useless creative. In that sense. But um, yeah, it's always been a really big part of me. Um, I love how you shared that story about that rabbit at the age of five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, um, my mom still has it as well she still has it can you imagine <laughs> <laughs> oh i was wondering how do you think your cultural background and perspective shaped you and influenced you as a person and your writing wow. as well <laughs> <laughs> that is a huge question um well i i think our backgrounds are very similar aren't they yes. i mean you've grown up in pakistan am i right i have you've yeah. grown up when I, I never grew up there i was born and brought up in in england but i definitely felt uh, i don't know how to explain it because for my parents they they moved here i was born here so that makes me I guess second generation mm -hmm. um the first generation were the ones that moved here and the second generation is the generation that was born here um and it was um i've been thinking a lot about this for uh, um my book actually that i'm writing right now is reflecting on that sense of identity and who was i and i don't think i ever really knew for a very long time like i i feel like i was always pulled both ways um there was on the one hand, this very clear message that we were Pakistani and I was Pakistani. Mm -hmm. And we weren't like everyone else because mm -hmm. we didn't do Christmas and we didn't go, I, I don't know, there were just expectations, you know, that I wasn't to dress like other girls. And mm -hmm. I, I was always very aware of there being these two lines. And I think I understood that from a very early age because our life on the weekends was so different to the life of, you know the girls at school for instance you know we had this we'd have every weekend we'd be in someone's house <laughs> people we call uncles and aunties have no relation to us whatsoever but our parents made that kind of sense of i hate the word community because that sounds really um i don't know it sounds very formal way to put it but they kind of made that their own family here for us and so we grew up with all these kids who were to all extent and purposes like the 
extended family that we didn't really have that um and i think that awareness of straddling two worlds that on the weekends we went into that world and i would wear shawak and go to their house and we would eat you know proper um pakistani food and then on the other hand when i was at school i was in my prim and proper school uniform with my white knee-high socks and my straw hat and it was very enid blyton and i was caught between the two worlds and i think um i hate the term culture clash because it really simplifies it because it isn't like that it's it's more this sense that you are constantly on a journey and you're just bouncing between two lines like two walls and right. one wall is your English side and one wall to your Pakistani side and you never quite, I don't know, it's like you never quite get your ball into the right court and you keep bouncing backwards and forwards and that's what it feels like or had felt like and sometimes even does still feel like, you know, because much as I love my heritage, I think it comes with a, I don't know if you'll agree with me, because <laughs> it's <laughs> our heritage after all, but it comes with a certain expectation, I think, it on does. girls especially and I think that, is hard for me and on the one hand i always tried very hard to follow the rules um because there's a lot of rules in our culture and our religion and and it can be hard to understand when the rest of the world around you is not doing the same thing um and it's still something i'm figuring i'm trying to figure it out for my kids as well because they they will be even more removed in a way um from that sense of culture and heritage and background so it's greatly shaped me because it's something that i think about almost every single day in some way or the other um from have correcting myself to from saying oh hi kids which is my <laughs> natural inclination and then i hear my mum's voice and i think oh gosh i'm supposed to say salam to them do you know what i mean like, yeah it's this constant kind of how do i do this how do i navigate this world for them um and i'm slowly coming to terms not coming to terms it's, that makes it sound like there's an element of sadness or regret and there isn't that but i'm slowly coming to understand that you can't plan for these things and you just follow your instincts and what feels right um so that's what i try to do now so if i feel like perhaps i am not living up to a certain expectation that's okay because my instinct protects me from it um and protects me from that feeling of falling short um and in my, my writing it's definitely something that i'm exploring especially right now with my second book but in my first book i definitely touched on it because they are short stories inspired by real events and real lives those are people that i interviewed and um connected with them and heard their stories and then based these um creative fiction accounts of what happened in their lives um and i think that was my way of exploring the push and pull between an inherited culture and what it means when you inherit it in a place that is so far removed from it because one thing that always strikes me is that my mother will always for instance refer to pakistan and a religion and stuff and so on as our culture like this is our culture mm -hmm. but it's not really my culture and i that is the push and pull that i want to explore because i think so many of us go through that um sense of just finding your own way and finding your own path um so it's very 
very influential for the way that I write and the way that I see the world because it's so hard to tread a line that hasn't been walked before or it's been walked countlessly but nobody's nobody really writes about it I mean I can think about I can think of my my favorite author Jhumpa Lahiri was the one that really I remember when I read her books when I was in my early 20s it was the first time I felt that I could see myself reflected in literature and that I could that I had the right to write about my background um that was the first time I realized that I could add something to that conversation so that's what I try to do mm -hmm. I remember reading one of one of your um, blog posts about inclusion and it was titled why simple living and minimalist lifestyles need to be more inclusive mm. um, and there you really talked about how the lack of stories that we can relate to this mm. uh, generation that is growing up far from their um, their culture but mm. embracing it as their own culture and navigating those <laughs> waters how we need more stories and definitely that we yeah. can relate to i think it's so important but just to have that richness of experience because also we're not homogenous my experience of growing up and my understanding of being of what pakistani roots are and what my pakistani heritage is it will be vastly different to your experience because you lived it and you were born there and it would be different but your experience will be different to the next girl that was born there and lived there and moved to europe so i think one thing that kind of upsets me in a way about the bigger world the publishing world where these narratives have the opportunity to to shine is the sense that oh well one brown person has already written that book about her life so why would we need another mm -hmm. and i find that attitude incredibly problematic because it does imply that every british muslim pakistani female has the same experience and that if you have one book about it and that's enough and it's not because it's just if that was the case then why do we have so many millennials writing their memoirs of their comedy fallings and loves and this and that and the other which even isn't even as valid in a way because it's not serious it's not as introspective it's not as revelatory as as talking about what shapes you in in such a deep and fragile way as well so it really does matter to me that that there is inclusivity in both the book publishing world but also the media publishing world and also on that micro level of blogs and instagram and social media as well because it it matters that stories are shared purely for the sake of of understanding and empathy but also just to hear the richness of life that it is different for all of us so my experience of motherhood would be different to anybody else's experience of motherhood but it's important that we hear these stories so that we find pieces of ourselves in them and i think that's the other really surprising thing is that whilst say my book that i'm writing at the moment about my experiences of growing up um perhaps uh, a white english woman might not see any need to pick up that book because she'd think oh but you know i'd have nothing in common with her but what mm -hmm. if she did find something in common with me and i think that's what's so valuable is that i think the more stories that are out there the more we see ourselves reflected in 
all sorts of people's experiences, even if they don't look like us or sound like us or dress like us. And I think that's what matters to me more than, uh, than anything really, is that finding those connections, which just remind us that we're all human at the end of the day and giving each other the respect and the space to tell those stories. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is so interesting to talk to you about this because um, as you have already mentioned that we, I grew up in Pakistan and my experience is entirely different than yours. Mm. All, and I try to find role models and examples. Um, I think I posted about it on Instagram of a while yes, back I as well. Uh, that I was really trying to find examples or stories that I myself could relate to because this mm. is the new space that I'm trying to claim for myself. Yes. Um, and it's it's scary and exciting both at the same time. But it's yeah. really important to have um, role models or examples that or stories that you can relate to or see yourself yes. reflected in. Absolutely. Because it gives you courage, right? And it gives you strength and it reminds you that you're not alone. And it just, I think there is something to be said for seeing that somebody's done this before you. And it doesn't mean you have to follow them. Exactly. It just gives you that little permission. bit of inspiration. Yeah, exactly. And there will be people that say you don't need to ask for permission. You can just do it your own way. But I think everyone is human. Mm-hmm. and we're not super we're not all super confident we might have days that we are but most of the time everyone carries a bit of self-doubt and it just helps it just helps to know that there's someone in the world that that has opened a door or said something that you find yourself relating to and it just gives you the push to do what you need to do right, so yeah. yeah I completely understand what you mean um yeah I, I don't think um I mean entirely by asking for permission, by searching for examples outside of you. But I think what I mean is that it kind of makes it um, possible or acceptable for you to walk that road because you don't really um, say that it's not for people like me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the unknown is a scary place, right? So to know that someone has done it before you, it's like a hand is held out for you so and then you take it um um, so yeah I completely I I, that that is and it's also because so so valid yeah uh you were saying about that growing up with expectations certain expectations as a girl Mm -hmm. in our culture it's very different uh, as you can relate to somehow for me depending on my personal experience, it felt like I was kind of moving away from these expectations when I started um, speaking up. Because you are not supposed to um, be too opinionated or... Yes. I don't know if that's my experience. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. And again, I think in those instances, again, it's very necessary to, to know what is possible and I think that's something um that I know like when I was growing up for instance um the idea of girls that would say marry um Mm -hmm. boys that were not of the same background or class um and being Pakistani and what 
and so on and so forth, you had this impression that to not to marry a non-Pakistani would be impossible because no one, there was no one to see who had yeah. done that before. And on a very personal level, that was an incredibly difficult. So I, I married Richard, who is English, <laughs> and that for me was was a real realization of a sense of I'm alone in this. I, mean, I had I. I everything is all fine with my family. <laughs> but that process is quite a scary process. And I wrote about it on my blog just last week. I wrote about it on our wedding anniversary. I touched upon um, how I had gone through the arranged marriage mm -hmm. uh, introductions and so on and so forth for years. Like I was completely unmarriageable. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wanted me. Um, and that, how that is a very lonely experience. And it's something we joke about as girls from that background right we raise an eyebrow we know exactly what we've, we're talking about we know what it means mm. the way that um, you know people will talk about you and aunties will talk about you and so on and so forth we we know that world inherently we've grown up with it um, but no one talks about the loneliness of it because exactly. it can be very funny but at the same time, it can be incredibly hurtful and isolating. And yeah, I, I think one of the things that I remembered was that it never, I didn't, I wish I had known as a girl what was possible. Right. Um, and that's something that really empowers me to write because after I wrote that blog post and I, I wrote, I touched just a little bit about that whole arranged marriage time and how then I kind of broke the rules and I didn't do that and everything worked out fine anyway. And I had so many messages from girls who shared my background, but also didn't share my background, but still felt that certain pressure when you turn 30 to be married and to settle mm -hmm. down from their own families, even though their families were not Pakistani. So they really understood what that meant. And what some of the um uh, two of the the girls who messaged me or women rather who messaged me um shared my background being born in britain and having pakistani parents and they both said one of them was already married now and she also married um an englishman who you know very respectfully converted and so on and so forth um, and she said she remembered when they were trying to navigate their way she saw my story as an example that it didn't have to be a massive drama you know mm -hmm. it, it's not always bollywood actually your family <laughs> will still talk to you and it's not the end of the world um, and another girl is was i think she must be younger than me um and she's still in that world and she said you give me hope and that to me is what matters is because I think that's a very specific narrative that is very specific to a certain stage in your life and to background and culture. But the fact that you can see yourself uh, presented in that conversation, which is not normally talked about in our circles, that's what mattered to me I think and it, it does matter to me because I remember exactly how lonely it felt because I would look for these examples of who, who where is this in literature how can I express this to mm -hmm. my mother and the only book at the time I remember was The Boy with a Top Knot by the author Satnam Sangara which was the man's perspective on this very Indian Punjabi uh, arranged marriage world and he writes a letter at the end of the book to his mother explaining why he doesn't want to have an arranged marriage but that was a, a man's voice right and I can't think of any female equivalent so I want to be that female <laughs> equivalent I want to write the truth of it um, just 
for the next generation, which sounds very grandiose, but I just think it, there will be a girl who will be lost and won't know how to tell her parents that she's met someone. And it matters to know that it isn't the end of the world and it doesn't mean they're going to turn their back on you. Um, so that's why, that's why in short, it, exactly what everything you're saying about seeing yourself reflected the more we see that the less alone you are I think yeah and I've gone off on a complete tangent talking about no I love that (laughs) (laughs) but it 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 also represents how we show up in the world it's not only about the um, (laughs) getting married but it it is also about (laughs) yeah I, I remember reading that blog post you're mentioning here and there was a line that really struck me, and I wrote it down too. Oh, but uh, that you wrote, I no longer carry the burden of social and cultural pressures like I once did, or at least quite at least much. not as much. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. How how did this happen? Isn't it too hard to not let those pressures become a part of your identity and not let them decide how you choose to show up in the world? Well, um, it's a work in progress. I I think I just learned to, this is very ineloquent of me, but just to chill out a little bit, you know, and I realized at some point that the stress that I would feel and um, that burden of expectation, which comes in many, many ways, it doesn't have to do with culture. It can be the kind of career expectations mm-hmm. we put on ourselves, like we don't give ourselves permission to follow the more creative work that we want to do. We feel that it would be not sensible and so on and so forth. I just came to this conclusion that the more I stressed about things, the bigger the problems would become when really, if you just take a step back and keep a sense of perspective, the things that I was worrying about, which is mostly what other people thought, those things were so small in my immediate landscape that it seemed like I was giving them so much priority and I was giving them this way of affecting my life day to day, when really that was doing a disservice to my own very immediate family. and my immediate wants and desires and needs to to pursue what I wanted to do. So I think it was just having this wake-up call of, hang on a minute, there is no need for all of this to upset me because I'm not in that world right now. I can take a step back, just keep it all in perspective. And finding a sense of balance has really helped me. And I think writing, the, a big turning point for me has been that in the, the years that I've had my children, I lost my way with writing a little bit. And it was very hard. I, I took it very badly. I didn't realize that I wouldn't still be Hamakrashi, the writer, the author, the journalist. I didn't realize it would be taken away from me. If I'm honest, that's how it felt like at times. And I was caught between, on the one hand, wanting to be with these beautiful boys, um, but on the other hand, always, not always, (laughs) but often thinking of who would I have been if I had kept working in a conventional way? Like how far would my career have progressed by now? Um, But that is not that doesn't get you anywhere. I realized that that kind of thinking wasn't going to get me anywhere, but taking a step back and realizing, okay, so my life has changed. I have different priorities now. What, how can I channel that into what I do to make it meaningful and just to start doing something about it? Because that's 
that's it, right? You can either pick yourself up or you can let it, let external factors and circumstance define you. Um, and at some point I realized that I didn't want to be defined by either other people or by what I considered to be my own failings or by my own self-doubt, which was a big part of it as well. And just taking a step back and having a little bit of perspective, but being braver as well to say no, especially in those kind of cultural and social expectations that I talk about, being able to say no and realizing that actually you get a little bit of respect when you say no and you don't always do what you're told. <laughs> that was a big turning point for me as well. So. Um, and, and learning to say no in many ways has only helped me move forward, especially in my work as well. I reached a turning point after my second son, who is now four, after he was born, I was still freelancing um, as a journalist for The Guardian. And my book had just come out. So I wrote my first book when I was pregnant with my first son. And it came out when I was pregnant with my second son that's right so every book of pregnancy yeah um and I think and I was continuing with freelance journalism at the time and it kind of reached a point where I realized I didn't really want to do it because I was at the beck and call of other people and that wasn't what I wanted to do that wasn't why I went freelance um and learning to say no and say actually you know what this isn't what I want to do right now I don't want to write that piece for you rather than saying, yes, yes, I'll do everything, even though I couldn't really manage it because I didn't have the time. Learning to say no has been incredibly powerful. Homer, I was wondering, after listening to the, the, the struggles that you have faced so far uh, around those social and cultural expectations, um, before we move on to the next thing, I wanted to ask you, what would you like to say to someone who might be struggling with something similar in their journey right now? Um, I think I would say to take a step back because when you're in a situation where you feel obliged to other people, it can be very intrusive and it can be very suffocating as well. So I would say take a step um, do what you need to to give yourself a little bit of space um, because with that space and that breathing space and distraction comes perspective and like I said I think perspective is what helps you remind yourself to put yourself first as well um, so yeah I'd say just take a step back it's not as bad as you think it's going to be <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right so um you took some time off while you were, um, I think it was around five years when you decided to come back to your writing, if I'm correct. Um, kind, kind of. Um, so my book came out five years ago. Um, and I felt that for me, even I was doing some journalism after that, and I worked on the radio for, on the radio for a while. And, but for me, I felt like every time I tried to write the next book at that stage, it wasn't working and it just wasn't coming. So that was when I kind of gave up. And um, I say the point at which I gave up was probably more like two years ago. But 
I suppose because the book had come out, I felt like I needed to do something really quickly to follow mm-hmm. it up. And I failed to do that. And I really struggled with that. Um, I just couldn't, I tried. <laughs> I tried to write um, the second book, which was going to have been a novel back then. Um, and I had a deadline and I had meetings about it, but I, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't write it. And that was, yeah, that was a t- turning point, which I've only just come to see was actually a blessing because it wasn't the right time for me to have written that book. And it wasn't that book. That was not the book that I needed to read, to write, sorry. Yeah, I have um, had this kind of up and down period of just trying out new things and then finally realizing that what I wanted to do was find a way to write on mm-hmm. my terms, I guess. Yeah. And that's how your blog came to be? Yeah. In a long, to cut a very long story short, yes. <laughs> I, I tried various little dead ends, I guess. I toyed with the idea of an online store, which didn't particularly do well and was an awful waste of energy, if I'm honest. Um, but I think all these little things were distractions um so that I didn't have to think about what it would mean if I started writing again mm-hmm. um so yeah I, I tried setting up an online store and I tried training to be a yoga teacher which is now seems to me to be the most ridiculous thing that I could have done because it was kind of obvious in a way that these were all just my stalling tactics and really what I needed to do was sit down and think okay what are you going to write next and how long are you going to wait to write it Um, And I think I always knew what it had to be. Mm -hmm. And I've just kind of only just got the confidence to get going with it. So, yeah. um, Why do you think you were trying to start it? I think it was my way of protecting myself from failing. Right. I think I've always thought that I've failed a lot. And I, I have. I can put my hand up and say that. I failed at completing my yoga teacher training and I failed at running an online story because I made no money (laughs) and I failed to write that book the next book when I thought I should have done it um so I saw that as failures um and I suppose on paper they kind of are failures they are they didn't work out um but I think I was scared of how much more I could take (laughs) I wasn't wasn't really um I'd also just had my third baby at the same time and put an awful lot of pressure on myself to keep going. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think I was just scared that if I pushed it too much, I would at some point not be able to keep going. And I, but I wanted to keep going. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I was being caught between wanting to do something, but also being terrified of what might happen. And what what would have happened? I don't know. What happened? <laughs> yeah. I think the world would have ended. But um, yeah. But the thing is, is the world doesn't end, does it? It doesn't end when you make mistakes. You just learn from them. And I'm very glad that I'm not doing those other things now. I'm really glad that I came back to what what has always made sense to me. And it seems ridiculous sometimes. I think, God, what was I doing? What I just wasted two years and lots of money buying stuff that other people had made to try and sell like what was I thinking why would you do such a thing but actually it's not silly because I had to do that it was just my learning process I had to go through it all to see that it wasn't going to work out and to really understand what writing meant to me and Mm -hmm. how important it was 
so I'm I can't I don't blame myself for having made bad decisions right so now I'm curious do you would you like to share why do you write and why is it so important for you what does it mean to you yeah well I think I kind of mentioned this already but what really matters to me is when people relate to what I've written and they resonate with it and it moves them in some ways that to me seems like a small miracle when people say that whether it's a blog post or whether it's a book or an article of mine um, that they've read that is what continues to amaze me um, and makes me want to keep doing it it's that reaching out it kind of feels like you're reaching into someone and that if they take something away from my words which is simply the way that I've put something down on paper that um, astonishes me and I want to keep doing it and I want to be better at it I want to keep crafting the way in which I write to have mm -hmm. impacts and meaning and emotion over people who read it that matters to me so it's that sense of connection um, because it continually surprises me that people would then take the time to send me an email to tell me that they read such and such story and it brought them to tears or they read this article and they didn't feel alone or it helped them in some way. Um, that, yeah, as I said, it just astonishes me and it, it, it makes me want to keep going. Oh, I love that feeling when some somebody responds to what you yeah. have written and shares how they it made them feel yeah um so i'm curious what does your creative process look like on a more day-to-day -day basis <laughs> a little bit messy um my creative process is uh quite intense if i'm honest that's partly just because of the way my daily life is scheduled um so i have three young boys they're six four and two years old so they're all quite small um and my writing time kind of has to fit around them um i have two dedicated writing days in a week um and i make the most of them <laughs> i have learned to not procrastinate because i just don't have the luxury to do that so i just blitz it <laughs> um, i was spent all day yesterday for instance in the british library um i need to work outside of the house even when the children aren't here even when they're at school and nursery i feel like i need to be in a different environment because it just i never ever used to struggle with that but i struggle with it now i struggle with the familiarity of daily life around me and it's not it's not oh i'll just put the washing machine on it's not that at all it's just the feel of a family home is mm -hmm. not conducive to my writing it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't feel so urgent when i'm at home um and i'm also reminded of being a mother when i need to step into this role of being a writer so i take myself out of the house that's my creative process i have a couple of go-to places that i go um one is quite local which means i don't have to waste time traveling and the other is going to the british library i just signed up to be a member there and it's amazing because it means you get unlimited time to work uninterrupted um and yeah so for example if i give you an example yesterday i went to the library and i stayed there from the time it opened till the time it closed oh wow and i yeah and i just but i just 
I wrote about 7,000 words. Not all of it is uh, meaningful, but at the moment, what I used to be, especially when I'd write news articles, I used to be a real perfectionist that I, I would never draft an article. It would be the finished article by the end of it in the first go because I would rework it as I wrote it. I didn't do that thing of I just get the words down and then I'll go back and I'll completely change the style and this and that. I would never write like that, but now I kind of do. So I edit as I go along, but at the same time, I need to get it all down before I forget it because I might not get a chance to look at it again <laughs> for another week. So having children has made me incredibly efficient like that. Um, and I do, I feel like I can switch off when I'm outside of the house, I switch off a certain mum mode and enter into the writing mode. And because I'm thinking about what I'm writing constantly um it means that when i come to sit down at my computer i'm i know where i'm going next um, and i also keep notes on my phone for during the week when i don't have the liberty of sitting down to write um, and i have like a separate file for the blog so if i have any ideas i just stick them in there and i have a separate file for the book um, when things come to me that i need to add in or take this bit out I just write I just put it down in there so I've always got like a constant reference mm -hmm. um, and then I've got another set of notes which is for pitching article ideas so if ideas come to me I just stick them in there and um, so it's it's a way of gathering all my thoughts and all those trains of loose threads everywhere and putting them in places where I can just deal with it efficiently um, but sometimes especially when I'm book writing I do need a little bit more time like I can be very excited about what I'm going to write but I can be nervous about it as well um, and so I like to when I travel into the library like for instance I'll be going there tomorrow so I have one bag with my computer <laughs> I have another bag with about five books in it to take with me to the library <laughs> because it's the it's any one of those might just give me the courage to keep going so if I feel that I start to think oh my god no one's going to read this this is really bad I pick up somebody else's book which is way better than mine and it just kind of just inspires me to keep going um and it also switches my mind out of warrior mode and into book mode because I'm reading and I'm participating in that book and in that dialogue right there and then if i read a chapter read a couple of pages shut the book i can go back to my laptop and i'm a little bit more immersed in that world of of writing and, and reading and i just it starts to flow a little bit better um and i'm not quite as stuck anymore so yeah that's it's pretty intense um but i i try to max out every last minute that I have um, because the time in between those days is is not like that um, and the chance that I might get to even just look back on something I've written is not very long um, so I try to make it count when I do get those times so no, it sounds really intense. <laughs> <laughs> it's intense, but it really gets me going. Like, I can't wait for those days because I kind of, I've had the week to think about it in my head. And then when the next day comes around, the next writing day comes around, I'm 
I'm so ready to go um, at the moment, but that's because of where I am at, at the moment. I'm writing something that feels like it could be something, but equally, let's say it didn't come to anything, then I would be stuck. Then I would have the days where I might struggle a bit more, or might need to spend a bit more time reading, or maybe just go see a movie because nothing else is working. Um, so yeah, it's not like every day is super productive, but at the moment, because I'm fully immersed in a project, it seems to be coming together. So I have that, but equally I have had days when I've kind of kicked myself for not calling it a day sooner and just giving myself a break because I've tried to sit there and I've tried really hard mm -hmm. to make it work and it's not working. So I guess it's just ebbs and flows. You can be in peak productivity, then you just need some downtime um, and some extra inspiration from somewhere else so yeah it's not always perfect but it's a work in progress as everything is <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i think what you said really makes sense that now you're in the middle of a project and it all makes sense to yeah. do it this way um, exactly you have a few courses that you teach online and they are mm -hmm. also about writing how yes. would you like to Tell us a little bit about your experience of teaching online and connecting with other fellow um, aspiring writers. Yeah, um, so I have two courses. One is called The Quiet Words, which is a more in-depth um, study of the craft of writing in a creative way. So I like to call it writing in a creative way rather than creative writing because it's not just for fiction. It's just a way of expressing yourself in a way that is moving and meaningful and long lasting, um, even if it is a blog post or if it's a, a memoir or any form of writing that just what I believe in is taking the time to craft it. Um, I think that's where sometimes we can slip up is we rush to put things out there in this really fast social media paced world. We don't really think about the long lasting impact that we might have on someone. Um, we say things that we might regret or we say things thoughtlessly or we don't reference in the right way with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to back up what we want to say. So all of this I think matters. Um, and also writing in a way that is unique and you find your own writing style and your own writing voice. That can be very difficult to do if you've always wanted to write but you don't know where to start. So that's the kind of thing that we, that I look at. Um, and my other course is uh, called Postcards Home, which is very dear to my heart because it makes me smile when I think about it. It's a series of essays um, to inspire you to write first person and to inspire you to connect with the stories of yourself so that you can share them with others. Um, and in both of these courses, I think I love like to think of them not as courses because online courses can be quite boring <laughs> you know you log into teachable and it's very kind of formulaic and it's modules and homework and I try really hard for my courses not to be like that I want them to be courses that are read for both pleasure but also inspiration and practical guidance as well as inspirational guidance as well um, and I think what makes them slightly different is that I wrote them for myself um, I wrote what I needed to hear to get out of writer's block and self-doubt with the quiet words and I wrote what I needed to hear in postcards home when I was feeling a little bit stagnant and stale in my approach and what I was writing and I just wanted to make it a little bit more fun um, and that's what 
what postcards home was about so i write as if i'm writing for myself because i was writing for myself i write the words of advice that i wish i had heard five years ago when i was starting to have like a meltdown over writer's block um and so i like to think that that is what connects with people is because it's truthful and honest and it comes from me um and so far um i think it's working because uh people respond in a way that say that implies they've not thought about approaching writing in this way before i think to a lot of people that are aspiring to write they don't necessarily have big aspirations of writing books and they don't have to you don't you don't have to but it's still really scary to to try and put yourself out there in words because your words are all you have and you could very easily be misunderstood or mistaken and there are all sorts of consequences that can come from that and so it, it is frightening and also calling yourself a writer requires a degree of confidence and faith in your own writing and it takes time to get there but if you don't practice the craft of it you won't get there and i think what i'd like to do in the quiet world is show you that it's not impossible to be that writer or to be that person and you can get there and um, it's not formulaic it's not a one size fits all and i very much ask of you to look inside yourself um, because i can't tell you that and i can't tell you how you feel but I can help you express that in a way that is memorable and moving and meaningful. Um, and so far, yeah, like I said, I feel like what people have connected with is the fact that it feels honest and truthful and not formulaic. And it has greatly inspired um, a number of students who have gone on to be published in uh, magazines, like uh, story magazines, um, sharing their fiction um another has just had a column published so to me those are it doesn't have to be about being published though that's also something i i tried to stress is that we all get caught up in there having to be an end result and that doesn't have to be an end result it can purely be that you do this for yourself and that's the beauty of it like you can write you don't have to show anyone if you don't want to um it's just knowing that you've done it and you might just feel better for it for putting things down on words where you can see them and feel clearer for them um as well so i like to to think that it's because both of these things have helped me then they can help others too and it doesn't matter what stage you're at because writing isn't measured in stages it's just it's what you produce for yourself more than anything else so yeah i i'm very touched and honored that people choose to to start their writing journey with me or progress their writing journey with me it means an awful lot to have that kind of trust um and i i talk greatly about making connections and these are very solid connections i read everybody's work they send me a piece of work for the quiet words and you know we all have an exchange about what that means and and some feedback and so on and so forth but it's more than just being a, i don't consider myself a teacher i just consider myself being a fresh pair of eyes that can maybe see things that you don't see and i think that honesty as well is very valuable to have right yeah i think that's what makes it also different from anything uh that i i have came across online that you don't show yourself as the expert 
<laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I definitely don't see myself as an expert because how could I? I mean, there's so many other writers in the world that have had so many more books published than me. And, you know, I just, this is just how I've made sense of things. And these courses came to me at a time when I needed some help and some guidance. And you know what? I couldn't, I didn't have that. And I wish I did. I kind of really wish that I had that hand on my shoulder to say, don't beat yourself up about it don't make this the end of the world you are going to write and this is how that's all I needed to hear and so if I can pass that along to someone else then that's my opening a door and me holding out my hand for them to just step into that world so yeah I don't feel like an expert and I still feel I mean I might have had a book published and it might have won an award and had good reviews but you know what the first thing was that I did after the book came out mm -hmm. I signed up to a writing course with um, the Faber Academy. Faber Academy is the writing school of uh, the Faber publishers. I signed up to a writing course because I, I wanted to do better. I wanted to know how to keep going Improving. and how to refine. Yeah, so I don't see it as this finite, oh, I'm a writer now. I don't see it like <laughs> that at all. Um, and I'm constantly looking for ways to self-improve my own writing. Um, I have a workshop next week that I'm going to with an author that I greatly admire. And similarly, she would probably not consider herself an expert. She writes very honestly and in first person. But to me, of course she is, but ultimately we're all just humans on different paths yeah. and some of us get there sooner. So yeah, it's, it's all very subjective. <laughs> <laughs> what keeps you motivated and how you're finding inspiration to keep going? Um, so I suppose, like I'd said, the, the thing that matters to me most with writing is that connection that I make with people. So that always astonishes me and motivates me to keep going, knowing that people are moved by my book or articles or blog. Um, I suppose day to day, I am motivated by this need to, <laughs> sounds a bit competitive, I guess, so competitive with myself to wanna do better than what I've already done. Um, I think one of the first things I said when my first book came out, so the art of writing a book is so lengthy, you know, it takes such a long time to get from, even to get from the idea to the point of publication, it takes a long time, there's a lot of people involved. Um, I remember by the end of it, I just cringed, I just did not want to look at it. And I haven't, I very rarely pick that book up to, you know, I can't tell you, the stories in it because you put a distance between yourself and the work that you've done and you put out there and similarly I couldn't tell you oh I write, wrote an article six months ago about xyz I, I may have done but it's not like I sit there rereading it um, and the first thing I remember I said to my husband was like I kind of covered my hands with my face like oh my god it's out in the world now and I cringed because <laughs> I was like the next book has to be better than this one that's all I'm <laughs> but it's taken me I don't even know if my next book will materialize. I'm hoping it will. It's in the writing stages. Um, but that kind of, yeah, I guess I've always had that little bit of self-competition and ambition to do better. And I think we talk a lot about silencing self-doubt. And I mm -hmm. completely understand that because it can be incredibly destructive. And I have been there and I know what that feels like. But equally, I think as a writer, you need 
a little bit of it to keep going i know that sounds almost paradoxical but it's like if i if i always believed i could do it and i had no self-doubt then my writing would be terribly flat i think i don't know if that makes sense if you if you have no fear then you don't try something new and you don't uh you don't test the waters you don't dip your toe you, you just explore. assume yeah you just think you know it and you just do it like imagine you were that confident every day and i think there's very few people that are that who who see themselves as the experts and who don't acknowledge that they might not always have the answers but i think without i think self doubt can be very healthy because it forces you to slow down and think mm -hmm. about what you're doing but it also tempts you, or it does me at least, it, it tempts me. It's very, it's like a teasing kind of voice yeah. um, to, to try. Can, yeah. I think it also kind of pushes you to keep trying and keep learning yes. and keep improving. Yeah. I can relate to that experience. Yeah. Yeah. I have one last question for you. Yes. What does living a wholehearted creative life look like for you? Oh. <laughs> um, for me, it feels like following what I feel is my impulse to do, my instinct, following my instinct and trusting in it, I think. Um, but also at the same time, being open that sense of wholeheartedness to me is a sense of being open and that means both being to a certain degree being being vulnerable definitely being honest but also being open to other people i think in the past one of the things that has always held me back has just been the fear of negative criticism and people not liking your work and so on and so forth but I think when you start to view that criticism as not negative, but as actually quite helpful, there's a certain openness that comes with that dialogue and that in turn doesn't hold you back. It, it helps you move along in your journey. So that sense of intuition and honesty and openness is what that means to me. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it does. Sounds wonderful. Thank you so much for this beautiful conversation oh thank you it's been a real pleasure to talk to you you can find huma on her website at ourstorytime.co.uk and on instagram at huma Qureshi writer all the resources and links we mentioned will be over on my website hirasemak.com forward slash podcast. It's spelled H-I-R-A-S-A-H-M-E-T dot com forward slash podcast. As always, if you think you have a friend who might benefit from this conversation, please share the link of this episode with them. Thank you so much for listening to the episode. It would really help me and the podcast if you take a moment to subscribe and leave a review. You can find more about me and the work that I do over on my website. There you can also subscribe to my letters. I write letters every other Sunday where I share my personal stories, lessons that I'm learning along the way and my experiences of living my truth out loud. And I would love to connect with you. 
or come say hello on Instagram. I'm at Hira S. Enwood.